Well, friends, please stand for the reading of God's Word. As we continue our series through the life and ministry of Paul, this week we are back in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. So Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She prevailed upon us. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. Now, in preparing for this sermon, a story came to mind that I have shared with you at least once, maybe even twice over the years, but um, I just had to tell it again because it reminds me of this. I was probably a junior in high school when I worked at a tennis shop at a club in Charlotte, and it was over the summer, and I would teach some clinics. I would help the pro teach tennis clinics, and I would also work in the shop as well. And there was a pool on the other side of the tennis shop, and for lunch, we would go in there, and we would order uh, our meal, and it was kind of a nice perk, and we could eat at the grill at no charge, and it was, it was wonderful. Well, one particular morning um, over the summer, uh, a big rainstorm came in and no one came to the pool. And so the pool was quiet and no one there. And about lunchtime, the head pro art told me to go into the pool and place our order for lunch, which I did. Um, there was a young man about my age, probably three times my size, surly, bad attitude, who was the cook, okay, in this grill. And um, I gave him our order and he said to me that, due to the fact that there was rain and nobody was coming to the pool, he wasn't going to turn on the grill. 
he wasn't going to clean it just for two guys. And so the grill was closed. And I said, absolutely no problem. I'll go right back in here and tell that to Art. So I went in and told Art, and Art wasn't very pleased by this, if you remember the story. He got very upset. He got up and went back in and spent some time in there. Okay, then he comes back into the tennis shop and tells me that the lunch will be ready in 20 minutes. I knew something very bad was going to happen that afternoon. And so about 25 minutes later, whatever, he was busy. He said, David, I need you to go in and get the lunch. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Ain't no way I'm going in there to get lunch. This guy was huge, very menacing presence, you know, and I'm, I was not as big as I am now, you know, so um, you can imagine my dilemma. And he, uh, Art said, no, you, you need to go in there. This is absolutely true. So I go, go in there and um, get the lunch. And as I'm leaving, he says to me, you know, something along the lines of, this is not over yet. He said, you better watch your back because this is not going to end well for you. You know, and that's just how my life went to that point. You know, like that's just, you know, a day in the life. And so I went back in, had my lunch and was just counting my days. Um, thankfully, true story, my sister started to date his older brother a few weeks later and I was able to negotiate a peace agreement, okay? <laughs> which is why I am still here to this day. The point of the story is, when he told me to go back in there, it was very frightening. I could not believe he had asked me to go back in and deal with that guy. Um, obviously, that's minor in comparison. It doesn't even compare to what Paul was suggesting be done. Paul suggested... Um, and took Silas with him and decided to go back to the churches that he had planted just a few years ago. So the context of the second missionary journey is Paul had decided to go back into the region of Galatia and check the churches that he had planted. And one of those areas was a place that stoned him and left him for dead, and he is going back to that same area. That is remarkable to me, I cannot imagine what it was like for Paul to go back to an area that had stoned him and left him for dead. I can't even begin to imagine. It definitely reiterates how much he believed the gospel to go back to this place where he was hated and opposed. Okay, the historical context of our passage is this. The historical context of Acts 16 is obviously Acts 15. And if you recall... Paul is back at Syrian Antioch. If you have your insert, you have your little handy-dandy map, okay? If you look kind of in the middle of the map to the far right, you'll see a little, little tab or a little um, section that says starting point, okay? So that's where Paul, that's his home base, Syrian Antioch, when he gets back from the first missionary journey. He, he's there when he hears all these things that, are going on in the churches he just planted, okay, and he writes the book of Galatians from there. And so he's being opposed by these people called the Judaizers. You probably, hopefully you will recall a little bit about the Judaizers that we talked about the last couple weeks, and that was a group of people that wanted to force the Gentiles to be circumcised in order to be saved, in order to be, to be brought into the community of God. Well, while he's there, after he writes the book of Galatians, 
people come down from Jerusalem and continue to press the issue. They want Gentile Christians to be circumcised. And so it causes another fuss. And so the church in Syrian Antioch sends Paul and Barnabas up to Jerusalem to get an official decision from the church in Jerusalem to settle this matter once and for all. Are we going to make the Gentiles get circumcised to be accepted into the people of God? So Paul and Barnabas leave Syria and Antioch. They go up to Jerusalem. There's this big council. In Acts 15, it's called the Council of Jerusalem. And the church, with the apostles there, they deliberate this matter. Uh, Peter gives a speech. Paul and Barnabas give a speech. Then James, the brother of Jesus, renders his decision. The final decision. The Gentiles do not have to be circumcised. They don't have to live like Jews. Belief in Jesus is all that it takes to be saved. Okay? That was a very important decision. The context of the second missionary journey in Acts 16 is that Paul is going back to the churches he's planted to check on them and to share the results of this decision. Because people were questioning Paul, does he have the authority to say these things? Paul was taking the decision back to those churches to clarify once and for all, it's Jesus only, not Jesus plus circumcision. So that's the context of the second missionary journey. Paul chooses Silas and off they go to check on the churches um, and to share the decision. Look at verse 1 of our text. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. Okay, Lystra was where Paul was stoned and left for dead. A disciple there was there named Timothy. This is where we meet his beloved friend, Timothy. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. So obviously when Paul is writing the you know, books to Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, this is that Timothy. Verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered them for observance. I'm sorry, let me read verse 4 again. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance. That's kind of an awkward way to write that verse. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so they're, you know, sharing that decision that had been made. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Okay, at this point I am reminded of a quasi-recent incident at the church office. Okay? A few months ago, I had made a sandwich that morning a delicious peanut butter and honey sandwich that I want to do on days that I don't have lunch with somebody. So I distinctly remember coming into the church office and I remember where I put it in the refrigerator, okay? And then about lunchtime, I was feeling hungry, so I came out and I went into the kitchen and I noticed Chris Bennett was in there. He's not here to defend himself right now and that's just fine, it's better this way. Um, <laughs> I walk in there, I see him, he's messing around in there, maybe fixing his own lunch, and I open up the door of the refrigerator, and there is no sandwich. The sandwich is gone. And I was like, you know, and he's in there, and I'm talking to him. I said, I could have sworn 
that I put that sandwich in this refrigerator. I, I don't understand where it went. I said, I'm going to go look in my car because I'm losing my mind. So I walked out, looked in the car. It's not in the back seat. Okay, I drive Virginia to school, so I put the sandwich in the back seat, not in the back seat. Went inside, you know, looked again. It's not in there. I said, I'm going to go home. I'm losing, you know, we don't live far from, I'm going to go home. Maybe I just left it in the kitchen. Went home. Sandwich is not home. I come back. I'm like, I'm having a senior moment. What is going on? And Chris is still kind of hovering, you know. My spider sense starts to tingle, you know. And he said, David, um, there could be a sandwich in the, uh, in the trash can. I said, really? A sandwich in the trash can? He goes, I, he was sheepishly saying this. He goes, earlier this morning, I was cleaning out the refrigerator. And there was a sandwich in there, but that sandwich had been in there for like a week and a half. And so I threw it away. I said, no, 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 Chris, that sandwich got in there this morning, and that was my sandwich. He said, well, it's, it's right in there. I got the sandwich out, and I ate the sandwich. It was delicious. So um, a few weeks later, I noticed that someone had left something in the refrigerator, okay, and I knew it had been in there for at least a week and a half, okay? So I clean the refrigerator out. We do that occasionally, right? When Nate comes in, okay, because I, I had made a big deal about the sandwich at the office, okay? Um, I had put rules on what was in the refrigerator, okay? You can't just go in there. And, so anyway, long story short, Nate loved it. He loved that I had cleaned out the refrigerator, right? So he accused me of being inconsistent for throwing out stuff in the refrigerator, not knowing exactly who they were. I knew whose it was. It was something that Allison Crow had had that she wasn't going to eat. Anyway, <laughs> this is what happens at the office during the week, people, just so that you know, okay? You think we're, I mean, you know, we're doing the Lord's work, but we're also doing these other things as well. Um, so what appeared inconsistent on my part was not inconsistent because I knew, okay, the owner of that particular food that I threw away, despite what Nate thinks. Anyway, I tell you this story. Let's get back to the text. Paul did something that seemed incredibly inconsistent, but actually wasn't inconsistent. Did you notice what seemed to be hypocritical and inconsistent in our passage. If you think about what a federal case Paul has made of the, G the Gentiles and circumcision, we've talked about that the last couple weeks. He wrote the book of Galatians to yell at people who were requiring the Gentiles to be circumcised to be part of the people of God. They've just had this big council in Jerusalem, okay? What was the decision of the council? You don't have to be circumcised if you're a Gentile to be saved. You just have to believe in Jesus. And so before they leave on the second, or, you know, as they, you know, are on the second missionary journey, Paul has Timothy circumcised. That seems inconsistent. Why would he be communicating to the churches that you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian, and then he circumcises Timothy? Does this make sense? It should make sense. Okay, on the surface, it doesn't make sense. How do we resolve the issue? How was Paul not being inconsistent? 
Paul was not being inconsistent because the reason he had Timothy circumcised is that Paul was going um, into synagogues to evangelize, okay? He had Timothy circumcised because Timothy's mom was Jewish, the text says. His father was a Greek. He was raised as a Jew, but he wasn't circumcised. Paul had him circumcised so that when they went into these temples all over, you know, um, the area at that point, like, like Macedonia and places like that, that they wouldn't be opposed by unbelieving Jews. Like, so it wouldn't disrupt his ministry. Like, so if Paul was to have taken Timothy to the temple to witness, it would have caused a huge disturbance among unbelieving Jews. Okay? And so in order, so there wouldn't be a disturbance and they wouldn't get into a fight about this, he went ahead and had Timothy circumcised before he went to evangelize at these synagogues. So there's a distinction. When Paul is writing to the Galatians, he's writing to a church. A church full of Jewish and Gentile Christians. Okay? In addition to checking on them, Paul was going to go witness. He was going to go evangelize at these synagogues. And so it would facilitate his evangelism to have Timothy circumcised so he wouldn't get into disputes with unbelieving Jews. I don't know if that's as clear as mud or not. I, I, I don't know. The point is, Paul was doing everything possible to make access to Jesus easier. That's what he was doing. He was circumcising Timothy so that he wouldn't get in these disputes with these unbelieving Jews like non-Christian Jews at these synagogues, okay? Like in the Old Testament, if you inadvertently took someone's life, um, their family members would come after you, and so they set up these cities called cities of refuge that you could run to and flee to, and you would be protected there, and your case could be heard there. Well, Jews in the Old Testament were supposed to always keep the roads to those old the cities of refuge um, clear. They, should, they were called to maintain the roads to make, to make access to the cities of refuge easier. Okay? In the new covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ is our city of refuge. Right? And, and so the parallel is we should do everything we can as Christians to clear the debris from the road. You know, we're, we're called to do everything we can as Christians to make Jesus accessible to people. Um, and so, how does this relate to today, I would ask you? So, Paul had Timothy circumcised to facilitate his ministry to unbelieving Jews, you know, throughout Asia and Europe, okay? And he was trying to make Jesus as accessible as possible. How do we do that today? How, how, how do we make Jesus as, access, as accessible to people as possible? How do we clear the debris from the road? Well, one thing I thought of is like in this incredibly political and, and polarized times, you know, as the Lord's people, we've, we've got to watch how we present ourselves in the workplace and in our neighborhood. We're called to be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus. We're called to be 
to be lights. We should be careful about how, you know, the kind of political statements that we make. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have opinions on those things. Um, I'm not saying we should never share our opinions. But we are Christians who happen to be Americans and not Americans who happen to be Christians. Our first allegiance, our first citizenship is in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and, and all of us in here likely have a political affiliation. But that's not your identity. Your identity and my identity is that of sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus. And all I'm saying is Sometimes, you know, through social media or through statements that could be made at the workplace, sometimes um, if those are hot sports opinions, those, those could shut down discussions with unbelievers before they even have a chance to start. And so I just, I, I was convicted as I read this passage, you know, what am I doing and saying that might be a distraction to people? that might get in the way of them hearing and being able to internalize and consider the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be careful how you carry yourself. Be careful about your witness in public, in, in your neighborhood, even within your family. Be careful. You know, we don't want to, we want people to see the Lord Jesus and not be distracted by potentially poor choices we make. Okay, let's continue. Verses 6 through 10. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. You can see that on the map, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, which probably means the Lord wasn't letting his people, wasn't letting Paul and Silas and Timothy go to Ephesus yet. That would happen later. Verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia. Again, look at your map. If you can't go west and they weren't going to go south, they had to go north. But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, a couple of questions for you. Did you notice a shift in the pronouns there? That's just fascinating. It's very subtle. If you look at verse 7, look at verse 7. And when they had come up to Mysia. Who's the author of the book of Acts? It's Luke. Luke is describing what Paul and Silas and Timothy were doing. Verse 7, and when they had come up to Mysia, now look at verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Luke is now with them. And that's just really cool. That's really interesting. Luke, who wrote Luke and wrote Acts, is personally on part of this missionary journey. And he's going to kind of come in and out of the book. This book is born based on eyewitness details and eyewitness interviews. Luke is there. 
which is amazing. Also, look at the way in which the Holy Spirit is referred to in verses 6 and 7. In verse 6, Luke writes that it was the Holy Spirit who forbade them to go into Asia. And then in verse 7, it's the Spirit of Jesus who did not let them go to Bithynia. So what's going on here? Is there a difference between the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus? There is no difference. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit that is sent by Jesus. Okay? If you remember in the book of John, Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If I go, I'll send him to you. Do you remember how the apostles looked in Acts 1 when Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father? They kept looking into the sky and angels are there and they're like, why are you looking up? He's going to come back in the same way that he left. Like, don't be despondent. Don't be discouraged. Ultimately, Jesus is with you. He's with you by virtue of the Holy Spirit. Luke is going out of his way to show that Jesus is with his church. He's with his church via the Holy Spirit. He has not left them as orphans. He has not left them to their own devices. Jesus is with the church and its expansion every bit as much as he was with them in his earthly ministry. It may not feel that way, but that's the case. The Lord, by his Holy Spirit, is telling the church when to go and where to go and how to go. The Lord is building this beautiful church with people from all over the world, this living house, like C.S. Lewis puts it. And Jesus is with his church as that happens. He's building this great church, and the Holy Spirit is doing the same for you and me. He's building you. He's changing you. He's growing you. You know, remember from that wonderful little devotional I love from C.S. Lewis, you know, we would be content with like a little cottage, but the Holy Spirit is building us up into this amazing palace. You know, the Lord is, is throwing up a tower here, He's building a new wall there. He's growing us. He's changing us. It's painful. It's hard. But Jesus is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit, molding us, changing us, shaping us. You know, this book is called the Book of Acts. People wonder, what does that mean, Acts? Acts of what? It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is building His church He's growing his church, and he's growing you and me. And last but not least, look at verses 11 through 15, and we'll be done. So setting sail from Troas, you can see that on your map as well. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. Macedonia is what we think of as modern-day, like northern Greece, a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Clearly, there wasn't a synagogue in this place. You needed 10 to 12 men in order to establish a synagogue, so that was not the, 
case here, but Jews in a particular place, if there wasn't a synagogue, they would go by a body of water or by a river, and that would be a place of prayer. That's how Paul knew where to go, and so there's this group of, of women there, of um, Jewish, like believing Jews, not, not Christian Jews, but like faithful Jews. Verse 14, one who heard us, um, so we're in Philippi now, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, that's also on the map, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Okay, she's a Gentile convert to Judaism. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me faithful, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And so we see that God is sovereign. He's saying, don't go to this area. Don't go to that area. I want you to go to this area. I want you to reach out to these people. And then when they get to that area, the Lord has to open the hearts of his people once there. What the book of Acts is communicating is that God is sovereign from A to Z. He is moving and guiding and directing the affairs of his church. And the Holy Spirit is also responsible for opening the hearts of his people to believe. Now that's a humbling thing. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, if you love him, if you trust in him by grace through faith, the reason that you love him is because he opens your heart to believe in him. You know, why is it that you believe and maybe your college roommate didn't believe? Why do you believe and maybe another family member not believe? Why do you believe and maybe your next door neighbor doesn't believe? Ultimately, it's the sovereignty of God. Ultimately, it's because the Lord in his sovereignty and inscrutable wisdom determines whose hearts he's going to open and whose hearts he's not. And that's a very humbling thing when you understand that. The God of the Bible is completely sovereign. He's also given us the responsibility to be his witnesses, to share his gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. God calls his people to bear witness to his name. But the fact that God is sovereign, it really does practically impact the way that we bear witness to who he is. We don't have to be like used car salesmen. Forgive me if any of you have ever been a used car salesman, but um, we don't have to pressure people or try to manipulate people or bully people or pressure people into trusting the Lord Jesus. All we have to do is just share who the Lord Jesus is and leave the results to him. And you may be discouraged that you know, loved ones or people that you know have not yet responded, the Lord's timing is perfect. You know, I'm sure it seemed curious 
to Paul why the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them go into Asia. That, that didn't, I'm sure that didn't make any sense to him. But God was sovereign. He has a plan. He had a plan with you, and he has a plan with other people. Reading the book of Acts should give us comfort, comfort and encouragement, beloved. And the Lord would call us to be winsome in our witness and fervent in our prayers. In addition to, to bearing loving witness, the most powerful thing you can do for someone who doesn't know the Lord is pray for their salvation. You know, Jesus told parables about being like the persistent widow. Don't ever give up. There's that famous Jim Valvano speech he gave when he said, in terms of fighting cancer, don't give up, don't ever give up. You know, that's true when it comes to praying for the salvation of your loved ones and your friends and your neighbors. Don't give up, don't ever, ever, ever give up praying because the Holy Spirit is powerful and his will will be done. Pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you and praise you for this text. Lord, what a privilege we have every week of opening your word. Um, and what a privilege it is to learn more about you and learn more about how you've worked in history. What a privilege it is to learn more about how you've worked and have grown your church through the book of Acts. And what a privilege it is to see your spirit at work through Paul and Silas and Timothy. What a privilege it is to see how your word grew despite incredible opposition. Lord, we know that that was true there, and we know that it's true here today. Father, we all have friends, neighbors, family members who don't know you, and it's heartbreaking and it's sad. It's tragic in many ways. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do in their lives what you have done in ours. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take out their hearts of stone and give them hearts of flesh. Father, we pray that as they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would trust him and look to him and place all of their faith and hope in him. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do a powerful work, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.